Hey there, my name is Bethany Bravery, and I'm the host of the Bringing Her Hope podcast. But even more than that, I want you to know that you are welcome into this conversation, that there is a seat for you at this table. And I honestly, I can't wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God is calling you to and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. We will laugh together for sure and most definitely cry, but you know what? I get so excited about the thought that together we can grow deeper in love with Jesus, that we can jump with both feet into the adventure He has for us. So get ready. It's going to be a crazy, amazing ride. My guest today on the Bringing Her Hope podcast is Carrie Malpass. When Carrie was 19, she believed the lie that abortion would bring her freedom from her life's struggles, but instead it left her with feelings of shame. But with the Lord's healing and forgiveness, he removed the shame and replaced it with a banner marked with the freedom that only he can offer. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit about yourself? Um, Let's see. I grew up in a small coastal town in Oregon. Um, I have been living in Oregon most of my life. I've been in the construction industry for years, working in small villages in Alaska for about the last five years. Wow. So, so cool. So today, friends and Carrie, we're going to be on top of just unpacking this topic of the healing of the heartbreak of abortion. So it's going to be a heavy story today, but I am so grateful, Carrie, for your vulnerability in advance, your transparency in advance to take us on this journey of God's faithfulness in your healing story. So why don't you take us along? All right. Well, I was, I, I had been praying prior of where I kind of wanted to start this. And there's a few important areas that I kind of wanted to begin the, the journey of this topic. Um, I, at a very young age, um, oh gosh, late seventies, I had an open vision of the Lord and mm-hmm. I was a young girl. I, I had been going to Sunday school off and on, um, as I had grown up in a Christian home and I had an open vision of the Lord and I never understood what the vision meant. And up until very recently, I'd always wondered what he was trying to, uh, show me or tell me. And as I've been along this journey of sharing my testimony and thinking more about it, he's just recently given me the revelation that, um, that was an anchoring point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, not an explanation for anything, but it was, him showing himself true to me and who he was. And I believe that throughout my life and throughout my journey, I always reference back to that vision as a young girl of um, six, six years old of um, him and um, knowing that he was real. So that was it. This is a, that was a huge part of my life and the things I've gone through. So I wanted to share that piece. Um, so I, I grew up in a Christian home wonderful family. I had three siblings. Uh, I, we moved around a lot. I was a, a troubled teenage girl for the most part, maybe a little more than most, um, for a short stint, uh, lived in town Portland area. And I, my parents moved me actually to back up from junction city, Oregon, a very small town. I lived there, um, for about six years. We went to a local church, my parents, my brother and I were all baptized there. My parents were leaders in the youth 
And um, it was a great, great place to live. Um, I was there from about second to seventh grade. When my parents moved us due to a job transfer, I was at a pivotal time in my life. It was about junior high. And I just kind of went wild, like all junior high people mm -hmm. do at that age. But um, I took it a little step further. I, I ended up with an eating disorder. I um, was anorexic for a time period. I made friends with the wrong people. I dressed in black, took the bus downtown Portland at sixth grade. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know what my parents were doing at that time. Now that I look back, I know what they were doing. They were panicking. But um, their, their uh, resolution was to try to put me in an all-girls school. That didn't work out either. Um, so just to give a little history, I've, I think in my, my youth, I've always been a little bit um, seeking the unusual or mm -hmm. um, running away from God, definitely mm -hmm. the other direction <laughs> as much as I could. Um, so giving you a little bit of that history, um, kind of flash forward, I had a high school boyfriend. We dated from... Um, Oh gosh, it was 15 to about 18 years old. And about the time I turned 18, I did not want to be in the relationship anymore. So I had, I had broke it off with him. I had plans and I did, I moved to downtown Portland to go to school by myself. Um, I didn't have a car at the time. To, so I took the city bus around. We, we had decided at one point to reconcile and try to make things work about six months later. Well, at that time I became pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I, I panicked, I panicked. I wasn't ready to tell my parents. I didn't know what I was going to do. I mm -hmm. um, became severely ill and I was in and out of the hospital constantly. Um, they actually diagnosed me with hyperemesis, mm -hmm. which you occasionally hear <laughs> women who deal with that. Um, so I was severely ill and to the point I had to share with my parents that I was pregnant. We decided to tell my parents and no fault of, of, to them, but the, the solution at that time, the mindset was if you're pregnant, you get married. That's mm. what you do. That's just a given. And, and being in a conservative family, I kind of knew that's what, that's what we would do. So yeah. we did end up getting married. Um, so I'm 19, pregnant, severely ill, married to somebody I really don't want to be married to. And I had a, I was at a point, I'm like, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. I, I think we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've all been like, how did I get here? This is not, this is off course to where yeah. I thought I would be going. Um, we were married. It lasted honestly two months. Mm -hmm. It was a short, short marriage. Um, after two months, he he had cheated, brought women home to our house, um, had parties there. I was, I had been staying a lot of time with my mom and my dad cause I was so sick and I needed care around the mm -hmm. clock. So that, that ended, um, I moved back in with my parents and I was just miserable and lost to mm -hmm. say the least miserable and lost. I, I can recall I, I would go out with my friends. People didn't know. Not everybody knew I was pregnant. I, I kept it pretty quiet and I was still not that far along. And I would go out with friends. Um, everybody was excited to be either going to college or graduating or whatever their plans would be to get out of the small town that we had grown up in. Yeah. And 
I remember one day I was laying in, and it's interesting to me. We all have these pivotal moments in our lives that we can remember the detail of everything in that room, you know, or, or at that situation. And I remember this is 30 years ago. I was laying in my bedroom and I, I was just sitting there thinking, what are my options? What, mm-hmm. what do I do? What, what's going to happen? And I remember praying. I remember praying. I was like, Lord, is it okay to have an abortion? I know this sounds absolutely crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> to say, we know what it says in the Bible. We know that it's not right. Lord's never going to tell you, yes, have an abortion. But the enemy took that tiny twist mm-hmm. and ran with it and made me believe that due to my lack of um, income to raise Mm. a child due to the possible relationship I would have to stay in, that it would be better for the child to not be born. I truly believed it with all my heart. Um, So I didn't even go into it as a selfish ambition, which I mean, maybe truly, if, if you were to examine the heart, that is where it came from. But I, however, um, made myself believe that I had the okay to mm. have the abortion. And um, back in that time, we had phone books. Yeah. <laughs> I had, I looked in the yellow pages under abortion. I looked mm. under the A's, abortion. And I remember laying um, in my bed and I called, I just called and I said, what do I do? How do Mm -hmm. I go through this? I have no idea. This was before being able to pull up what is an abortion online? Like what, what does it look like? There wasn't those type of things available. You didn't know much and they didn't tell you much. So Mm -hmm. you were limited on your information. Um, They called, or I called them, spoke with them. They're like, here's the time. They set up a time and um, I made an appointment Mm -hmm. and I, I was, I, I was like, okay. And, and I could barely, and then this is a sensitive area. I know what I'm about to share, but I almost didn't hit the cutoff time as to when mm-hmm. I could have the abortion. I was far enough along. I felt the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I was pregnant. I knew there was a baby. It wasn't a fetus in my mind. I knew I felt it. I knew it was there. Yeah. And I was to the point of starting to show and they're like, you have to come in in the next couple of weeks, um, or we can't do it because you'll be too far along. So I, I, the only thing that went in my mind is I have to go get it done right now. I have to. So I had contacted, um, at that time, my best friend, and I said, I need help. I need, I need someone to drive me to this clinic. And she was like, I, I cannot get time off from work right now. So she had a friend who I had no relation to, didn't know, um, nothing drive me up. Mm -hmm. And this process being that I was far enough along was a two day process. So the first day you would go in and they would, um, well, I'm going to back up the first day I went in, I actually was downtown Portland. It was on Northwest Lovejoy. I, I remember everything (laughs) about Mm -hmm. it. Um, I remember he dropped me off a couple blocks away from the clinic and there was people picketing out front and they were yelling and screaming. And these were people who not probably not everybody, but in my mind, what stood out to me the most is these were Christians. Mm -hmm. These were Christians and 
there was no compassion. There was no, um, let me, let me, can I talk to you? You know, can mm-hmm. I pray with you? Can I um, do anything like that? It was just like disgrace and anger and judgment and yeah. everything you would imagine, you know, uh, what that would look like. So I kind of ran through that. I went into the clinic and I sat down, the lady called me back and, and she, they immediately did an ultrasound and she's like, every, the atmosphere in the abortion clinic was not what you would anticipate. It was Mm -hmm. actually like you were going into a doctor's office to have a baby. Every, everybody was happy. And I'm sure this was part of their culture there being what they did. Um, everybody was happy. Everybody welcomed you. It was like, it was a great day. It, Mm it, it was nothing like it. So it was an, an atmosphere that really drew you into, you were making a good decision. Yeah. You know, you were doing the right thing. Um, so I went in there and, and I lay down and the the lady's like, I'm going to do an ultrasound. I was like, okay. And she's smiling and she's like, Oh, the baby's so cute. Do you want to see? And, and I was like, yeah, I I was like, no, I absolutely do not want to see. And I was like, what is going on? I honestly, I, I'm, you know, I'm 19. I'm nobody knew except Mm. for my best friend, nobody knew. So it wasn't anything that I could share. I just, I started right there was a a time I just started suppressing. I, I can deal with this. I can deal with it. So they, um, did an insertion of three, they're kind of like pellets that would make you um, dilate and you would mm-hmm. go home that night. So I remember I went to my friend's house and it was about an hour and a half drive from Portland. And I remember laying on the couch. And again, I remember every detail. It was like one of those pivotal moments. Once again, I remember where the lamp was. I remember the couch. I remember mm-hmm. laying there. I, I remember I started having cramping feelings. Um, and that was part of it. Just like if you were going to, you know, before you have a baby, all of yeah. the, the birthing signs. Um, and I just was, you know, those thoughts would go through your head and be like, Oh, what if I change my mind? Mm. You know, and, and that idea, you, it's too late. You know, it's like, it's too late. It, it, and I'm not saying I did change my mind, but those things go through when all of a sudden you no longer have control of yeah. your situation. For sure. Um, so I remember going back in the next day, I just, I remember laying down, he dropped me off again. And, um, I remember laying down on a, on a bench with a big light over me, doctors and nurses. And I was put out, I was put out. And I remember waking up in a recovery room and I, I was sick cause mm-hmm. I had just came out of anesthesia. Yeah. Um, I was very sick actually. And I just, I didn't even know. And as soon as they see my eyes open, they're like, okay, get up, get up, Mm -hmm. put you in the wheelchair. Um, They will you out. And then there, here's this, you know, stranger essentially ready to pick me up and I'm just bleeding profusely. And um, yeah, it was, it was horrible. And I just remember the drive back is an hour and a half later drive and I'm, I'm bleeding. I'm sick. I'm, still under, under anesthesia. I'm with a stranger in a vehicle. And I, I, all I could think of was what do I do next? How do I tell people? Because my parents, my family, my um, boyfriend at the time, everybody knew I was pregnant. 
So mm-hmm. I hadn't really came up with this solution prior mm-hmm. to what I was going to tell people. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I went home and well, not home. I went to my friend's house and I laid there and instantly I was like, I want my mom. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I, I have to deal with this. I cannot be here. I need my mom. I need to go home. And that next morning I ran across the street to a payphone, and I called my ex-boyfriend and I said, I had a miscarriage mm. and he was extremely upset over it. Um, extremely, but I, I was never going to admit to anybody. I had an abortion. I mean, I, that was locked and sealed Mm. (laughs) from that day going forward. That wasn't an option that I would ever tell anybody. Um, and then I had to call my mom and, Oh, I remember calling and I was like, mom, I had a miscarriage. And she was like, well, what happened? And I, and I didn't really have answers because mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that would look like. What do you do if you have a miscarriage that far along? I don't mm-hmm. know. So I was like, mom, I had a miscarriage. I, I, I need to come home. I don't feel good. And she's like, okay, okay. Well, did they do a DNC? You know, all these things, she started medical terms. And I was like, I don't know. No, they didn't. You know, I, I think yeah. she finally stopped asking because I was distraught and she knew mm-hmm. it was too much. So my um, girlfriend at that time was able to drive me halfway um, to meet my mom. And I just remember her in the parking lot and she just kind of hugged me and I went into a restaurant, into the restroom, went to the bathroom. And I just remember being there and just like all of a sudden this shock of all that happened in the last two days kind of hit me. And I was, I kind of had this flood of emotion, um, I didn't feel well. And that was the point of my feelings. I don't even know if I can put into words. I I guess, again, it would be the suppression of feelings. And I realized, okay, I can only get through this Mm. if I suppress this and not feel it. And that's what I did. Um, it was pivotal because I look back and the enemy had me really believing that that abortion would bring me freedom in Mm -hmm. my life, but really it just put me in the chains that he wanted to have around me. And that was chains of shame. That was Mm -hmm. chains of um, lack of identity. It was so many different things. Um, And it it started to harden my heart. It was beginning of hardening my heart, honestly. And let me, let me ask you, um, yes, you know, prior to you getting the abortion, you were at least dialoguing with the Lord, even if you were asking him what seemed like a crazy question, you know, is it okay if I get this abortion? What, you know, when you were at the place where you're at this restroom two days later and you're processing through all of these things and you're, you're basically setting this bar of, I can't feel these emotions anymore. Otherwise I won't survive. Did you kind of close down your conversation, your dialogue with the Lord, or were you still reaching out to him in some way? I closed it, but he didn't. I closed it. I absolutely closed it. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. I was, I just, I, the shame was so overpowering that even though I didn't, um, even directly have the, these thoughts, I knew in my spirit that this is unforgivable, Mm. you know, this is unforgivable. This is, um, this isn't something the Lord's going to forgive me for. And if he does, it comes with punishment. That's what Mm -hmm. I honestly believed. He's, you know, if I'm going to have kids, I'm going to be punished. If I'm, 
maybe I'll never be able to have kids, all those things, because I really believed in my heart of hearts that the God at that time that I served was a God that, um, which he is a God of justice, but was a punishing God. And that's due to the very religious atmospheres that I grew up in as a child. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, you had to not, you just don't sin. (laughs) It wasn't repentance. There wasn't any of that. You just don't do it. So I truly believed going that day forward. I'm like, this is unforgivable. And, and that, that really had me pulling away from the Lord immediately once it was done. Um, after I had the abortion and I kind of settled back in, it didn't take long for um, somebody to come in my life that I had met. He had just came home from the Navy. He um, was a outgoing, jovial, fun, exciting person. And I'm like, okay, this guy's kind of interesting. He's taking me away from my thoughts, my concerns of what I've done and shifting, kind of shifting gears. And so I started dating him and we instantly fell into a very abusive relationship physically. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only that, I remember the first time I was at a, um, a party and I was sitting there and I, I was watching everybody snorting lines. At that mm-hmm. time, it was called crank. <laughs> it sounds, it's just different. And I remember thinking, how could anybody do that? Like, that is so gross. That's just disgusting. How could I ever do that? And, or how could anyone do it? And I remember I would, the more involved I got with him, I almost in some weird way felt deserving of the, of the, mm-hmm. um, of the, the way he was, the physical aspects because of what I had did yeah. that I was like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, I was mm-hmm. like, of course you're going to be with someone like that. Look, look what else you did. You know, it just started compiling these yeah. lies, the enemy's yeah. lies into my mind and my, my spirit. Um, it took about two months. And again, I'm at a pivotal point. I remember the table. I remember the location of the house. I remember everything about it. And I started doing the same thing. I got involved in crank and, um, I became involved in crank. I became involved in mushrooms. I smoked marijuana. I drank. I did acid. Um, you name it. I was like, it was a free for all. I, I, I didn't care. Yeah. I, I didn't care. And, and when you become, or you participate in the company of people in that Mm -hmm. environment, you just fall into it. You fall into it. There's no way not to. And when you have a group of people like that, you, it becomes accepting and okay because everybody's doing it. So what's the problem? Um, this went on for about a year. Um, the abuse was terrible. Um, the emotional abuse was terrible. The drug use. Um, honestly, I, I, I would hear the Lord and he's like, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) I remember I'd hear him and he's like, this is so dirty and gross. And why are you involved? And these are not your people. You know, this is not your, your environment. And, I didn't care. I, I was miserable. I just, I didn't care. I, I was, I just, I wasn't who I was and mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know what I was at this point or who I was. Yeah. Well, and if, long, you, if you believe, like if there was some foundational belief of, I have to be perfect for the Lord, you know, my, my track record must look like this. Otherwise he won't receive me or he won't love me. 
Yes. You probably were throwing it all out the window because yeah. it's like, well, I'd already made a mistake. So there wasn't this chance of right. grace. There wasn't this chance of right. mercy. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I was to the point that again, nothing matters anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not going to forgive that. He's not going to forgive this. I might as well mm-hmm. enjoy this time right now and not feel anything. And, and anybody who's dealt with drugs knows that is the cure all for emotions. That's the cure all for pain. That's mm-hmm. the cure all for dealing with things in your past. Yeah. And, and that's why people get involved with it. It numbs you and yeah. whatever the addiction is. So that was the beginning of that. It didn't take, I wasn't doing that lifestyle too long. Um, I don't know about a year into it. The, the guy that I was dating, the police had been watching us actually. And I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh that I look no. back and I don't even think it's me anymore, mm. but the, the police were watching us and um, they said, we know what you guys are involved in. My boyfriend was dealing drugs at the time. And they said, you have two options. You have one option. We're going to um, arrest you or you have the second option. You my being my boyfriend goes in with a wire to, um, bust a, a bigger drug dealer in the area. Whoa. Yeah. It, it was very holy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And, and I was like, well, I'm not going to get arrested. You know, I'm like, and, and I really, at that time, they didn't really have anything on me. It was more of a threat. They knew my association with him mm-hmm. and it was a way to get us to go in and do that. So he went in with a wire and long story short, the guy did not go to jail and we had to move. We had to leave the area because the guy knew who we were and he's, he was looking for us, obviously. (laughs) It's it's like, I'm, I'm looking for those people that went in wired into this motel room. And again, I'm at another pivotal time where I remember everything about that evening, where I was, how I felt. Yeah. So we moved away. Um, and now I'm living with a man who is extremely abusive, still dealing drugs. I'm away from all my family and away from my friends. And after about a year of that lifestyle, um, and I'm talking abuse of driving down the road and being punched in the face randomly. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about a slap, not that a slap's any better or not as bad, but I mean, this, I had broken lamps over me. I had, um, you know, if I bought something new, it would get thrown out or thrown away or smashed or whatever. It, it went beyond physical and emotional to just, just, it was a horrible, horrible environment. Mm-hmm. And as every woman knows, and every woman has done, we believe we can change people. <laughs> so we believe that yep. this is, this person's so sad is mm-hmm. why they act this way. And if we just love them a little harder, yeah. um, or if we just show them that, other things can be, you know, he can go another path. They'll do it. And that yep. doesn't happen. Well, and I think there too can be dysfunction on, on our part of, we want to be needed. We want to have value. Yes. So if there's this codependency of, I will be their helper and I will be their cheerleader and I will yeah. you know, see them through, then maybe that's yeah. what my identity is. Cause I'm sure, as you were saying, you were searching for identity. Who yes. am I? Who who is this yeah. woman now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then the enemy again, I, uses that what you think you're doing for good. He yeah. uses that. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he'll twist just a little bit, a little bit of truth. And it's, it's, it's just easy to believe that, um, you can love somebody different <laughs> you know? yeah. that they'll eventually have a different mindset. If you stick with them and you stick it out or, 
again, it's like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, I didn't wreck when he punched me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. And I remember in my younger years thinking, how does anybody stay with someone who's abusive? I mean, I think everybody who hasn't dealt with it at one time or another has had that conversation. Yeah. Um, why would you, why would somebody put up with someone like that? And even now when someone that knows me, hears this story, mm. they're shocked because I am a very independent and a very strong woman. And yeah. the idea that I could fall into that and, and believe that it was healthy or, or just that believe to stay in it, even if it was unhealthy is absolutely crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not, that's not who I am. Yeah. So Um, it, it took about a year continual of that. And then one night, um, after a very abusive situation, he had broke out the windshield of my car with his fist, um, and admitted to me that he was homosexual Mm. and he, this, he had feelings for a relative of mine. So I'm at this point, I'm, I'm almost like laughing. I mean, inside I'm like, you're like, what else? What else yes. do you want to add to that? What do I do with this? I don't even know yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and in that point, my dad and mom kind of caught on to what was going on, you know, with his abuse, they didn't know anything prior, but my dad's like, you're, you're done. You're, mm-hmm. you're not going back. You're done. If you know that that's it. And I knew it was a time I, I also knew it was over, you know, I wasn't going back into that environment again. And, and, um, it kind of finished that. So kind of moving forward, I, I remarried, I had a son, um, and we ended up divorcing when my son was three. Mm-hmm. I found it that the next person I found had no emotion mm-hmm. <laughs> basically was wasn't going to physically abuse you, but also wasn't going to show you a lot of affection or mm-hmm. um, caring, or you couldn't even say the words, I love you. I mean, it was completely opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that I thought, well, that's safe, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm in a safe place that I don't have to worry. He's not on drugs. He's not um, abusive. He's nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. almost to the point. So that only lasted so long um, for obvious reasons, but after we divorced, I had moved back up to Portland to go to school. My son um, was in second grade and he hated living in Portland. And my, my ex-husband had convinced me that he should go live with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I look back leading up to that point, I do want to touch on the fact that when I had my son, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that I had very difficult time bonding with him. Mm. And I don't think that everyone's prepared or even realizes when, when you've had an abortion and you've suppressed those feelings of, of motherhood, those Mm. feelings of labor, those feelings of everything um, that you're not going to go through when it actually happens, Mm. you cannot just switch that off. Yeah. It's still there. It's, it's still there. And it really affected my bonding, um, with my son. And Mm -hmm. I would have to say that probably for several years it did. I, I, you know, obviously I loved him. I loved him, but, and I'd love him, but Mm -hmm. I, it was just different. I didn't feel motherly. I didn't. And the enemy really came in with that. You're not maternal. Mm -hmm. You're not a maternal person. You're not a mother. You're not, um, you know, look what you did. How could you, you don't even deserve to have this child, you know, all those whispers that were constantly going on 
in my mind all the time. Um, so he, I let him live, go back and live with his dad. I was heartbroken. I mean, mm. so heartbroken um, that I would just cry all the time. And um, go, I didn't know I was going to get emotional. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I remember I, I would just cry and cry. And I came to another point that I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to feel this anymore. It's too much for me. So I would suppress it. I would suppress it. And I, and every time I was able to suppress it, I felt strong. Honestly, I felt strong. Mm-hmm. I felt like, look, at, look, you can deal with anything. Yeah. This is awesome. You know, you can, yeah. you can suppress an abortion. You can uh, suppress physical abuse. You can suppress the loss of your son, which it, it wasn't the loss of my son. He, he just went to live with him for two years, but the reason I was so upset, I believe is because it brought me back mm. to how I felt when I had an abortion. I, yeah. I, I let him go, yeah. even though I didn't in my spirit and my heart, I felt like, Oh, look, you can't even raise a child. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was a, a very significant time after that happened. It was a free for all. I, mm. I was like, I don't care anymore. I'm done. And, um, I started going out every night of the week. I had a successful job. I had a beautiful condo downtown Portland. I was successful. Um, I had friends. I had people to go out all the time. I drank like crazy. Um, I, I became wrapped up in sex clubs, um, swingers clubs. I, um, underground clubs that people don't even know about mm. very, very demonic places. Um, very dark. Um, people were dressed in actual, like, you know, looking back, I don't know how they described it, but what it was is they would be dressed up and, and, and looking like demons essentially mm. in some of these club environments and they were underground and they were dark. They were dark. And that, you know, as much as, the occult was after me. So was God. And that was my saving grace because I never got so involved into anything that the Lord didn't pull me out of, Mm. or that I came to a realization, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you here? This is not a good place to be. Um, I would meet men anonymously off the internet. Mm. I had no care for myself. I I gave fake names. I didn't want a relationship. I didn't want a date. I wasn't interested in um, any kind of intimacy. I Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I could have had intimacy with anything or anybody at that point. So um, I I started dabbling in porn. I started, um, my focus was honestly in the sexual arena. I wanted attention from men. I wanted mm-hmm. the attention to the degree I wanted it. And then I yeah. didn't want it anymore. And that desire or need from a man fulfilled the areas of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, I always dealt with, you know, I, I dealt with that anorexia when I was 13 and it came full circle again in my mid thirties um, where I got the same way again, I, I couldn't change all the pain inside of me, but I could change the way my outside looked and yeah. what people's perception was of me. Yeah. 
that that false sense of control can be such a, you know, something we think it's the one thing that we can, we can have. It's the one thing that we can hold. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And when, and and when it works for you, you're Mm -hmm. like, well, this is what I need to do. I, and you, and you will never be satisfied. You'll always want to be a little skinnier. You'll want to be a little prettier. You'll want to look a little younger. You know, you want to spend another extra hundred dollars on the next expensive pair of jeans. It's Mm -hmm. like, it it doesn't stop. It it just pulls you in constantly, but it's never enough. And for the people you typically surround yourself in those environments, it's never enough for them either. Mm -hmm. And they constantly want more. And I just remember um, just feeling like I, I, I just felt terrible about myself. I, I, if somebody like if a man or a woman or anybody was to say something like, Oh, you look beautiful. Um, you know, or whatever. I really took offense to it. I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel beautiful, <laughs> you know? And I thought they're joking. They're being sarcastic. You know what, whatever. I, I couldn't receive anything like that because of how I felt about myself. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. Um, so that, that went on for quite a while until I met another man. Um, and my son was back with me at this time and we started dating and the first, one of the first times we got together, um, we had been drinking. He was a drinker. We weren't, and he smoked marijuana. You know, we were involved in that kind of stuff, more the light stuff, not the hard stuff. But I just remember one of the first nights that we went out, we had been drinking and he started talking to me in a third person. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. what's going on? And he would also, um, almost like he would be talking to somebody else and not me. And, and I didn't, I thought it was weird, but I thought I was weird for thinking it was weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I don't know who he's talking to. I don't know what's going on. I'm sure that I'm just thinking he's that something's more about it than it really is. Um, and that began the start of a 10 year, a 10 year, terrible, emotionally abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. um, to the point that he put sticky notes on every door, every lid, everywhere in the house as to what he needed to have done, what he needed, what his expectation was. Um, if I, I gained five pounds one time and he broke up with me because I gained five pounds. And for someone who deals with, yeah. with body image, that, that's that not helpful. Well. No. <laughs> no. So you immediately are like, okay, I, he's right. I need to get that five pounds off. Mm. Um, I do want to back up because I do want to touch on that body image with women. And yeah. my first proposal with my first husband was if you lose 20 pounds, I'll buy you an engagement ring. Oh my goodness. And the enemy had my number. The enemy yes. had my number. Yeah. And I remember going, Oh really? Just 20 pounds. I can do that. I, I didn't even look at it as that's crazy or anything. Mm. I was just like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, whatever. I was young and I thought, yeah, I could probably use 20. I could lose 20 pounds. Not a big deal. So this, this was a, a theme throughout my life as mm. I was with different men um, probably based on the ones I met and their standards and what they were really looking for. Um, so I remember that he broke it off with me and then we got back together and we'd break up. He'd, we'd get back together. It was just a constant up and down cycle. And he would 
just say terrible things. He didn't want to be around my family. He hated my family. Um, he hated my father and my brother. He wanted me to have nothing to do. He really tried to seclude me, which is not a good sign with anybody. And um, I was miserable. I was, if I could get any lower, I was now at my lowest, mm-hmm. my lowest. And I remember walking around one time and my dad, who um, had always throughout this time was like, I'm praying for you. And I'd just be like, whatever. I didn't even want to hear it. I didn't want to hear he was praying for me. I didn't, if worship music came on the radio, I had to turn it off immediately. Mm. Um, I would hear the Lord calling and I would be like, I cannot do it. I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. ready. And throughout my lifetime to this point, God showed up in so many ways. Um, I would go to work at a new job and my manager would be a pastor's wife. Um, I wrecked a car and I was in the middle of nowhere and a pastor drove by and picked me up. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the list goes on and on that these people that he's put in my life as a reminder of his goodness. Mm-hmm. And it has, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm sure if there's other things that I don't, I'm not even thinking about. There's this numerous thing times he's shown up. And I remember my dad, finally, I, I just had this countenance about me of heaviness and mm. my face. I, I just, just that I know we've all experienced, but you're just, it's such a heavy weight yeah. that you barely feel like you can hold your shoulders up. You can barely smile. Your, your eyes look through the lens of just and void, void mm. to that point. And I remember my dad came up to me one time and he gave me a hug and he said, sis, you look miserable. Why are you so miserable? And I was like, oh my gosh, somebody notices that. Mm. <laughs> I'm like people see this. Cause I thought I'd been doing a wonderful job of, yeah. you know, but look, I've got a successful job. I have a nice car. I'm look at these nice clothes. I have look at my friends. I have, you know, look at all these things I have. I, I'm yeah. confident. See how confident I am. Yeah. You know, what do you mean? Why would you say that? And I was, I was, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, November, 2017, the Lord's like, I'm done. You are coming back. You're coming home. And I, I was like, well, wait, wait, Lord, I look, can, can we ease into this a little bit? You know, I, I need to, you know, like, okay, I hear you. What does this look like? And he's like, no, I'm, t- I'm not. And I know we're always at our free will, but I do believe at times God comes at you so strong that he's like, no, there's no other option. This is mm-hmm. the option. You're coming home. And I remember being like, okay, I'm coming home. And I was still dating this man. And um, I went to church and I was like, this is, uh, this is where I need to be. I need to be at church. And I wasn't living in Oregon at that time. I was up in Alaska. And I remember I came home and I told my um, boyfriend at the time, I said, I'm going to start going to church. And I, I don't know, I, I would like you to go with me, but if that's up to you. And I promise you that the reaction I got when I shared that, he basically almost manifested it was insane. He just got so violent, so freaked Mm -hmm. out. So 
out of sorts. And he was like, I know what this looks like. I know what this means now that you're going to church. And that was the beginning of the end, basically. Um, for six months, we stayed together and I was away and working in a village and I, I was praying and I was like, Lord, I don't know how to get out of this relationship. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to break it off with him. Every time I try, something happens. I need you to intervene. I need you to intervene and to show me what you want me to do. I need you. I mean, I was crying out. I was at my last point. I was like, help me, help me. I, I cannot do this. And the next day, and this is the very next day, my boyfriend at the time called me and he's like, it's over. And I said, I was shocked. And, and, but I was like, okay, Lord, wow, you work fast. Mm. <laughs> I was like, okay. And, and I remember I just had an emotional breakdown that day. And it wasn't just because of that. It wasn't even a negative emotional breakdown. It was, I knew there was a shift coming. I knew this was God. I knew that I can no longer be in this place that I've been for so many years mm. that it was almost like, I don't want to say mourning an old life because I didn't want it anymore, but it was, I knew again, it was a significant time and I didn't know what was ahead. I didn't know what it looked like because I had to give complete control mm -hmm. over. I had to. I think that's a really good point though, to talk about for a second is even if you're living in dysfunction, even when you're living in abuse, there is some mourning for what you knew. It's even yes. if it wasn't, you know, what it was supposed to be. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, women who that need to walk out of an abusive relationship and then they almost want to go back and they're like, wait a minute, you have freedom now. They don't yeah, even yeah. understand how to recognize what that looks like because it's something that they haven't had. And, um, you know, it's, it's the comfortable, even if it's the dysfunctional. So I'm so glad that you even Absolutely. shared that because there's probably someone watching right now that's like, yes, that's me. And no one understands. Yeah. Um, God has more. And, and freedom is stretching. Freedom yes. can hurt because with it comes healing. So go ahead. Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure. No, it's beautiful. That. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's loss of identity. You, yep. you clung to an identity and a belief of who you were and yep. how you were going to live out all your days possibly. And once that shifts and it's no longer there, you don't know what your identity is now. Yeah. So you're, it, the Lord's going to form that and shape that, but mm -hmm. you're also a little cautious because you're like, Lord, what if I don't like the identity you're going to give me? I mean, yeah. I'm going to be honest, you know, it, totally. there's that little bit of fear. It's yep. like, what if I can't live up to that identity you want me to have? Yeah. Um, all those things start going through your mind. But I remember driving one day and it was so clear. And the Lord's like, I want to give you the love I have for you. Mm. I, but you have to let go of this. You have to let it go because I cannot give it to you unless you do. And I just remember it was so clear. And I was just like, all right, I, I'm going to have faith. And I was like, well, you know, in my mind, I was like, worst case scenario, I'm alone forever. Okay. That's not the end of the world. You know? <laughs> Different things go through your head at those times yeah. in your life that you're like, yeah. that's okay. So um, I came back to Oregon uh, and I started attending a local church with my brother. I, I walked in and it was like, you know, you, they joke about it, but you hear like the angels singing in the background. And I was like, I'm home. <laughs> it was such a strong pull that I was like, 
I, I don't know, but I have to be here. I have mm-hmm. to be here. This is my home. These are my people. Um, and I loved it. I, lo- I still love it. I'm still there. And I just remember going in and the Lord started whispering in my ear about a singles group. And I was like, no, 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 Lord. No. I'm like, that's, you not don't me. understand. I made yeah, an agreement <laughs> with you that there would be no one else. I know. I'm like, yeah. this is, this is not a, this is not me. I'm not, I mean, I, I'm just coming back you know, to you, Lord. I'm like, this is, why would you want me to do this? You know, this mm-hmm. is, I have my own issues to deal with. Little known go in and, and, you know, a singles group. Yeah. So lo and behold, I started a singles group and, um, we had quite a few people. We made some really great relationships and, um, I made a really good relationship with a man that was in there. And, you know, we started, we were just friends. The last thing on my mind was a relationship. Honestly, it, it was like that, that was nothing. I mean, I was to the point, I really was believing that if, if I don't ever have one, I'm okay. You know, mm-hmm. whatever the Lord has for me, I just, that's yeah. what I want. And, you know, he, he asked me out on a date. I said, no, I was like, no, I'm, I'm just looking for friends. I've just left a terrible situation. Um, and so we, he, he was very steadfast and he, um, was like, okay. And we, we were friends for six months and I had a dream. We got married. I, I joked around with him. I'm like, Oh, I had a nightmare. And like, <laughs> nice we got dream. married. And he's like, that's awesome. Why haven't you told me? And I was like, why would I tell you? you know? yeah. And so a few months later, I started having feelings. I started feeling feelings towards him. And I panicked. I panicked mm-hmm. because I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Is this my flesh? Because my flesh has led me astray yes. throughout my entire life. It's yeah. like that I, I, I cannot count on emotions. I can't count on anything. So I felt I was freaked out to say the least. I was really freaked out. And I called a pastor and I was like, I have a problem. And, and, and he's like, well, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm, I'm having feelings for somebody. And I think I need deliverance. <laughs> And he's just like, okay, you probably need deliverance. That may not be why, but, you know, like, so it, it's still, a, you know, a joke, of course, yes. now, now, but, um, we started dating and, um, we were engaged six months later. We got married two months ago and we've been married a little over a year. And I, God is so faithful. God has redeemed my entire past in mm-hmm. ways that is indescribable. Yeah. I, I don't even know, you know, I can speak of those things that happened in my past, the abortion, the sexual addiction, the pornography, um, the, the promiscuity, that everything I, I can speak about it, but I don't, I'm not attached to it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not who I am. It's not how I feel. It's not anything, um, that affects me anymore, my emotions or my spirit, because not only was I delivered from those things and, and I was truly again in my life born again. I mean, like as a new creation, I am not that person of old. I don't have the mindsets of that. I am thankful. So thankful for the man that he's brought into my life. Um, He's absolutely the love, love of my life. And he, 
he's the most loving person, the most loving person that even from the time we've gotten married to this last year, the walls that have came down just with me and the process Mm -hmm. has changed my walk with the Lord has changed my, our focus together as, um, you know, we're, we're kingdom warriors. That is our mindset. And that's what God put us together for. It wasn't for fleshly desires. It wasn't for, um, loneliness. That's not why Mm -hmm. God put us together. God said, I need you and I need her, and I need you to come together as one for the kingdom. That's our purpose. And that's our intent. There is, and I don't mean to sound like there isn't love because there's an abundance of love between us, but it's so much bigger than that. And we're just so blessed and thankful every day for what we have. Incredible. Um, Carrie, how are you able to, or how is God using your story now? Oh my goodness. You know, I, this is where my, I am passionate for women who have had an abortion. Um, the Lord has put so many people in my path that have had one that cannot speak the words that they've had one. Mm. Um, they're walking in so much shame and, and these are Christian women. These are not just people, um, in the world that don't know our savior. And I am like, there's freedom. And, but you have, there's a a process to receive the freedom. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I am pro love. I am pro love. And I, I want to love the women that have had an abortion. I want to love the women that's even thinking about having an abortion. I want to open up those lines of communication that says, let me tell you my story because our testimonies are what heal people and direct them in a different place. And I am, I'm passionate about, um, women who don't have the abortion who almost did. I, there's just so many areas, um, in abortion, it doesn't just affect the woman having the abortion. It affects the man. It affects the grandparents. It affects, you know, so many people. It's not just one act and, that was it. it. It's, it's so much bigger. It's such a bigger scope than that. And I, I truly believe the enemy is after our wombs as women. I, I believe that that is an area that he has came after. And I believe that is a portion of, of why women struggle with their identity, with their sexuality, yeah. with everything. It's he, he wants it and he wants to take it. And I, I feel for women who feel they have no other choice mm-hmm. and, my heart's desire is for the community, um, the churches to be able to come together and have this conversation about abortion. And what as a church can we do to support these women who feel they have no other option? Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, okay. So a woman is watching right now, or she's listening right now and tears are running down her face because she's not where you're at. She's in the middle of it, whatever yeah. it is. What would you say to her? Oh, I would say that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. There is absolute freedom in Jesus Christ. And it is a simple, the Holy Spirit can heal those places in your heart. And I know, I know that you remember your abortion every single day, Mm -hmm. because until you have freedom, it's, it's you, you see a baby and you think about your abortion, you look at your child, you think about your abortion, you go to the date you had the abortion, you think about the abortion, you think about the day that your baby would have been born, you think about the abortion. And um, there's absolute freedom and healing in Jesus Christ. Absolute, 100%. 
So true. Um, Carrie, yeah. you know, the enemy, it was evident as you told your whole story, he kind of figured out what those markers were. You know, he figured yeah. out he wanted some identity and he wanted to take a quarter, a quarter twist turn on it and give you a lie with that. And he, he knew that there was something you were longing for as far as pursuit, you know, from a yeah. man and to be told that you're lovely and beautiful, even though, you know, you received it in, you know, dysfunctional ways, ways that he never right. had in mind for you. Um, but now that you, and we've not all arrived, right? There's always healing. Yeah. So I want to be really careful. Like our job on this podcast is not to wrap yeah. up in a pretty bow, but we're all in process oh. with Jesus. But what would you say to maybe the listener that's asking, okay, Carrie, I see how God has redeemed your story. And I'm, I love that you're walking in freedom, but do you ever struggle with the eating disorder again? Do you ever struggle with the desire for, you know, sexual stuff that's outside of what God intended and how do you respond to that? Hmm. I absolutely still deal with the eating issues. <laughs> um, it's an ongoing process. I I'm always like, Lord, I don't want to be vain. <laughs> you know? I'm like, help me, Lord, give me self-control. I I'm always praying for self-control um, in my life, especially in the area, in the arena of food. And, yeah. and I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what the Lord has for that because sometimes I think there are just areas that, that we deal with constantly mm -hmm. that we may, that we have freedom that we know truth. We know that I'm not, um, I'm not fat. I'm not too scared. I'm not ugly, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. But I do think that sometimes the, those things are, are still a reminder of what other people are going through. I don't know if I'm making sense clearly, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a piece that you still deal with because you, um, are also, he's also wanting you to support others that are dealing with it, or maybe don't see it or in the midst of serious medical issues with it or mental, you know, um, attachments to the idea of that you need to look a certain way or be a certain way. And even right now, I'm going to be honest and vulnerable when I, when I got married, when COVID hit, COVID hit right at the time we got married, I put on 10 pounds and mm -hmm. I was under distress. Mm -hmm. I, I thought, oh my gosh, Troy's going to think I'm not attractive anymore. He's, he's going to be like, oh my, you need to get that 10 pounds off. Those are the things that start feeding from things that have happened in your past. Mm -hmm. And you have to get your thoughts. You have to take your thoughts captive. Mm -hmm. And that's how you battle the enemy. You have to take your thoughts captive um, and know that that's a lie. That's not truth. And sometimes you have to do it constantly for days. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's part of the process of healing. Healing is identifying it's an issue, um, taking it to the Lord. And, you know, he does what he does for his purpose and his will. And we don't always understand it. Maybe I, I won't have complete freedom sense that it's not going to always be a little memory here and there about it or a little fear of being overweight or, you know, anything like that. But I, I have complete faith, whatever his plan is, is the right plan. So what did forgiveness, let's talk about that category a little bit, you know, I think mm -hmm. and through redemption, you know, sometimes it's, I need forgiveness. I need to ask for forgiveness or I need to forgive yeah. these people that, you know, those guys that treated you the way that you did, or I need to forgive myself. So what has yeah. the journey of forgiveness look like for you? You know, that is, you hit it right on the head. Um, 
forgiveness for the people in your past and what they've caused you true forgiveness is so essential to healing. And, um, I think forgiveness to those people right along into repentance. I think repentance is a huge part of it, but you have to, in your heart of hearts, forgive. And it is difficult to do. And we cannot do it by our human nature, only through supernatural you know, ability at, through the Lord, because it's not something you can just be like, okay, I forgive you. You know, obviously that's, that's, you want to forgive, but you have to ask the Lord, help me to forgive, help me to forgive and help me to, um, I don't, you know, we don't need an understanding of as to why they were the way they were, but I always have, I have compassion for everybody, even when I wasn't always following, you know, the Lord entirely because they came from somewhere that they were taught these habits. Mm -hmm. This isn't something that they just decided to be or who they decided to be. So I always fall back on compassion that that person's still struggling in their life in those areas. And, you know, whatever they dealt with in their childhood, whatnot, it's, it's something in this world that people deal with. And Mm -hmm. I just always fall to compassion and then to forgiveness. And when you can have the heart in that sense, be able to um, truly, truly forgive with the help of the Lord. um, It's that's, the first step in healing. Yeah. Carrie, I want to end on this question before we wrap up. If you could sit down with your 19 year old self, mm. what would you say to her today? Oh gosh. I would tell her that she is beautiful, strong woman who has so much ahead of her and what, you know, follow the Lord. <laughs> That would be my first thing. Don't put them on the side burner. Don't, don't tell them you're not ready. Don't tell them that you're, you're going to choose this life over him. Um, if I would, if I could have did it all over again, I, I wouldn't have put him, um, in the back. And I mean, that's what I did. I, I, I literally just said, not right now, you know, it's, it's my time, not yours. And I would never do that again, but I would say whatever decision you made, you are forgiven Mm. from your Lord, Jesus Christ, whatever you do. And, and, you know, my story is abortion. My story is abuse. My story is um, vanity, um, eating disorders. But everybody has something in their story. Yours might look different, but healing is the same with the Lord. It, It doesn't change whatever it is, whatever that past has been in your life, whether you're the one that suffered or you're the one that's caused the situation. There's healing and forgiveness. Yep. Well, friend, thank you so much just for thank you. Your heart for your time today. I know that our listeners and our viewers are going to want to connect with you and you have a special Facebook group that they can connect with on. So how can they find you? And we'll make sure and put it in the show notes as well. Yep. I'm under, I have a Facebook group um, called Mended Post-Abortion Recovery. And I absolutely encourage any woman who is looking for healing, any woman who's considering abortion, um, any, anything around that arena, I would love to connect. I love it. Well, thank you again for your wisdom. Thank you. Willing to share and just appreciate you so much. Thank you, friends. Isn't it incredible how God takes a story like Carrie's and completely redeems it? 
It's such a beautiful reminder that no matter how far you or I have run away from God, He still loves us and pursues us and has redemption for all of us if we choose Him. Hey friend, if you are enjoying this podcast, then the best way to let us know that is by taking a moment to give us a review. By giving us a review, it allows us to keep bringing you more content each week. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time. But until then, you keep living those brave stories for Jesus. I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor of the Bringing Her Hope podcast, Friends of Hope. Friends of Hope is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to the support of Christian radio, Christian events, new media, and activities that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks again, Friends of Hope, for sponsoring the Bringing Her Hope podcast so we can continue to share more brave and beautiful stories of God's redemption.